0: Hello friends! We're so glad to be together for another message in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts as we learn from the words and the teachings of Jesus in this message entitled, God, Mercy, and the Merciful. Pastor Brian Broderson will be teaching on Matthew 5-7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But what is mercy? And how does it differ from grace? And to whom should we extend it? And what about those who don't deserve it? Pastor Brian delves into all of these things and reminds us of the upside down way of the kingdom of God that we are to reflect to the world, as well as the beautiful ways that Jesus lived out mercy as he revealed God to us. All right, so here we are in our series in the sermon on the mount and the sermon on the mount this is something that has just sort of been tacked on to these chapters matthew chapter five through seven and it's because we read in the very first verse of chapter five that um, that jesus uh, went up onto a mountainside and sat down his disciples Came to them and he began to teach them. So at some point, somebody decided, let's call this the Sermon on the Mount, and I, I think it works. So, so that's what we're doing. We're we're early into the series here. That's going to take us uh, all the way till uh, just close to Christmas. So this this series will last the the remainder um, of the year. And so just just a quick recap as i did last week it'll be more brief today Uh, but just to remind us where we're at so we can we can pick up we're going to look at verse seven today blessed are the merciful uh, for they shall obtain mercy or they shall be shown mercy so it's it's important though because there's been all kinds of perspectives on what the sermon on the mount is and so it's always good to, to get clear in our minds just what this sermon is and, and what it's not. Because it's been, I think, um, misunderstood by some. So what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount is this. So now that I'm here, Jesus, now that he's here, God's new world is coming into being. So when Jesus came, remember, as we read in the, in the early chapters of the Gospels, uh, Matthew and, and um, Mark especially, Jesus comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's the king and he is bringing the kingdom. So with the coming of Jesus, God's new world is coming into being. And what's described here in this sermon are the habits of the heart which anticipate the new world here and now. So what Jesus is is laying out in this teaching is this is what the, the citizens of the kingdom, this is what they're like. This, this is our behavior. So, And this is what the world will ultimately look like in the the fulfillment of the, of the coming of the kingdom, because now it's, it's come partially. But you're going to be able to see in the lives of the citizens of the kingdom, you're going to be able to see glimpses of the kingdom. So the qualities that are uh, taught here by Jesus, poverty of spirit, purity of heart, mercy, and so on, This is important. They're not the things that you do to earn your way into God's favor because we know that God's um, favor is given to us as as a gift. We don't earn our way into the kingdom and they're, they're not that and nor are they merely rules of conduct that now that you've become a Christian, this is, okay, make sure you do all of these things. Uh, It really is more a description of, this is what happens to people who become citizens of the kingdom. This is how they think. This is how they behave. This is how they live. And they themselves are then signs of life, the life of the kingdom, the life which Jesus came to bring. So that's what he's describing. And uh, again, that quote that we've shared uh, each and every week, I think it it just really says it well. uh, Joachim Jeremias, what Jesus teaches in the sayings collected in the Sermon on the Mount is not a complete regulation of the life of the disciples, and it is not intended to be, rather what is taught here are symptoms, signs, examples of what it means when the kingdom of God breaks into the world, which is still under sin, death, and the devil. You yourselves then become signs of the coming kingdom, signs that something has already happened. See, that's, to me, I think that's something that's so powerful to to just realize that we, individual people who are followers of Jesus and we, his people, collectively, the church, we are signs or supposed to be signs to the world that, hey, something's already happened. God, you know, people, lots of people don't believe in God. And many times people say, well, I don't see any evidence for God. One of the evidences that they should be able to look to to see for God is that there's the, there are these people that are different. There are these people that just, they're not like everybody else. That, that's what we're talking about here. Now, as we pointed out again, Jesus begins with these, what are commonly called <coughs> the, the, the Beatitudes, the, the blessings. And we talked about the, the Greek word here is makarios. And once again, just quickly, uh, makarios is um, translated oftentimes happy. um, And it refers to a deep inner happiness, a state of human flourishing and supreme blessedness. So it is used in the Bible. When you find the the term like here, blessed, when you find it used in scripture, uh, for the most part, and specifically here in these verses, it's speaking of the bestowal of divine favor. So when we read, blessed are the merciful, uh, we might read, Oh, how favored and therefore happy, flourishing, and supremely blessed are the merciful. Now, as I just kind of briefly touched on last week, mercy in the in the context of where Jesus is speaking this was not on the top of anybody's priority list who had been influenced by uh, the the Roman world. And the context, of course, here is the Roman world. It's a Jewish world, but it's dominated by um, Roman ideas. So the Romans spoke of four cardinal virtues, wisdom justice temperance and courage mercy was not on the virtue list for romans as a matter of fact for romans mercy was detestable because it it seemed to indicate weakness so if you had mercy on someone you you were uh that 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 was a weakness um you remember the karate kid movies And the the newest rendition, Cobra Kai. What is the the philosophy of Cobra Kai? It's no mercy. No mercy. That was the Roman mentality, no mercy. And if you talked about meekness or mercy, that was just completely unacceptable. It was a sign of weakness. It was indicating that you should be trampled on and dominated by the strong. But Jesus, in this sermon, Jesus, as we say sometimes today, he completely flips the script. That's what he does. Jesus comes and he he just completely turns everything on its head. He says, basically, no, it's not like you think. It's not like the Romans who were dominating the world at this time. It's not like, they think. Because actually, as Jesus is telling us here, it's the poor in spirit, the meek, and the merciful that will inherit the earth. So the sermon is antithetical to the way the world thinks. And this is always going to be the case. If we are really following Jesus, if we're really living uh, the life of the Spirit, we are going to be an enigma to much of the world. Um, several years ago, there was a, a professor who decided to assign to uh, her students the reading of the Sermon on the Mount. This, this was in a secular university. And so there might have been a Christian or two in the class, but basically they were, these were you know, secular people. So she assigned the reading of the Sermon on the Mount. And then they had a class discussion uh, regarding the Sermon on the Mount. And the students absolutely hated it. They absolutely just did not... Um, resonate with it at all they felt that it was impossible to live nobody can live like this they felt that it was too idealistic that it was unreliable not to mention the fact that it was restrictive and they didn't want to be restricted by these kinds of things and so as she's listening to the various responses she did ask this question. She said, but, but what if people lived like this? What if people actually did live like this? And hands down, the whole class agreed that if people did live like this, they didn't want to do it, but if, but if other people lived like this, the world would be changed overnight. And it really is true. And if we live like this, the people who are actually part of this kingdom... You know, this is going to change, it's going to change our world. It's going to change the things around us. So, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy, mercy is actually, it's part of God's uh, character and nature. It's an attribute of God. In that wonderful, wonderful passage in Exodus 34, that place where the Lord is revealing to Moses his name, this is what the Lord declares to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, this, this passage here, which is such a beautiful passage there in Exodus 34, do you know this passage is, um, in, in some ways you could say it's the, it's the Holy Spirit's favorite passage in the Bible, and the reason that you could say it's the Holy Spirit's favorite passage in the Bible is because it appears over and over again in the scriptures. I, like a month ago or something, I went through and I looked at all the places where it appears. And I think it was, I couldn't, I've got like six Bibles and I couldn't remember which Bible I wrote the notes down in. So I couldn't find, I think it's 11 times uh, it, it occurs And so this is being repeated over and over again. The psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 8, said this. Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. So when we think about God, one of the first things we need to think about is the fact that he is merciful. He is a merciful God. A.W. Tozer in his great little book on the attributes of God called The Knowledge of the Holy, he he wrote this. He said, mercy is an attribute of God, an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature, which, listen, disposes God to be actively compassionate. If we could remember that the divine mercy is not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being, we will no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but from eternity was. So it will never cease to be. Mercy is the goodness of God confronting human sin and suffering. This is the very nature of God. And that's why when the Lord reveals uh, his name to Moses, the very first thing he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. You know, Jesus, here's a connection with Exodus 34 and John chapter 17. When Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, before he goes to the cross and rises and ascends back to heaven, he says this in his prayer. He says, Father, I have revealed to them your name. What's happening in Exodus 34? The Lord is declaring his name. Jesus is saying basically, I've completed the revelation. The revelation that was spoken way back in at the time of Moses, Jesus is saying I've now brought it out into the open. I've made it crystal clear. Jesus is the embodiment of this mercy of God. But what is mercy? And here's a question specifically. What is the difference between mercy and grace? Oftentimes we use them synonymously. And in some ways they, they are very much alike. Um, but they're oftentimes put side by side as well. Paul in writing to... Uh, Titus and Timothy, he says, where he normally says just in in his letters, grace and peace to you, he adds mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. So what, really quickly, what is mercy and what is the distinction between mercy and grace? Well, mercy, the Greek word is eleos, and it means compassion for those in need. Compassion for those in need. Or you could say it's pity in action. It's pity. You know, you see somebody in a, in a dire situation and you have pity for them. But, but mercy doesn't stop with just that emotion. Mercy takes the next step to try to alleviate the distress. So the difference between mercy and grace According to uh, Richard Lenski, the Lutheran scholar, he said this: He said, "Mercy deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress; these results of sin, and grace deals with sin and guilt itself. The one extends relief; the other pardon. The one cures, heals, and helps. That's mercy." The other cleanses and reinstates. So most of the time, in other words, most of the time grace is referring to what God does in taking away our sin. Mercy is referring to helping those who are in distress because of sin. Or in distress because of just the the sinfulness of the world. John Stott, who uh, we quoted last week in our teaching, writing on this, he said, Jesus does not specify the categories of people he has in mind to whom his disciples are to show mercy. He gives no indication whether he is thinking primarily of those overcome by disaster, like the traveler from Jerusalem to Jericho, whom robbers assaulted, to whom the good Samaritan showed mercy, or of the hungry, the sick, and the outcast, on whom he himself regularly took pity, or of those who wrong us, so that justice cries out for punishment, but mercy for forgiveness. There was no need for Jesus to elaborate. Our God is a merciful God and shows mercy continuously. The citizens of his kingdom must show mercy to. So I, I read this because I think this, this, this is an important thing. Because when we start talking about mercy, inevitably the question comes up, but yeah, who, who, who gets the mercy? Because there are some people that we might think, well, they don't deserve mercy. And you know what? That's why they're going to get mercy, because they don't deserve it. (laughs) If if they got what they deserved, it wouldn't be called mercy, would it? It would be called justice. But Jesus, in some ways, seemingly indiscriminately, he, he shows mercy. So mercy is often in Scripture, as a description it's used often in scripture as a description of kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted so when you see kindness when you see goodwill being directed toward those who are suffering um, oftentimes mercy is the word that's used to describe what is happening there and jesus exemplified mercy over and over again in his ministry let me just give you um just some examples from the gospel of luke now john stott referred to what we commonly call the parable of the good samaritan and maybe you remember the story of the good samaritan Um, there is a man who is traveling from uh he's traveling this path from jericho up to jerusalem he's overtaken by robbers he's beaten and left for dead and as he's lying there on the road uh, um, a priest comes by and sees him and decides, like, I, I got to get to the temple. I don't have time to deal with this. So he goes around the man and uh, leaves him in his state. And then a Levite, who is similar to a priest, he's somebody who works in the in the temple, uh, he pretty much does the same thing. And then a Samaritan comes along. Now, Jesus is telling this story for a number of reasons, but... Um, Somebody asked the question, Jesus was talking about loving your neighbor, somebody asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus is going to show, or he's going to, through the story, he's going to show who was the real neighborly person here, and then he talks about the Samaritan. So Samaritans, if you remember, um, they were outcasts as far as Jews were concerned, and The last person you're going to expect, from a Jewish standpoint, the last person you're going to expect to do any good is a Samaritan. They're kind of good for nothing. But Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. But that's not really my point. My point in telling the story is that the Samaritan comes. He sees the man in his distress. He takes him up and he um, moves him to a place where he can be taken care of where he can be helped where he can be healed and he pays all of his expenses for his recovery and when jesus is telling this story he refers to the samaritan as the one who showed mercy the samaritan showed mercy so that's an example of mercy in luke chapter 17 there's a story of Ten lepers that were cleansed by Jesus. And they came, these ten lepers, they came and they said, uh, have mercy on us. And Jesus healed all ten of them. But as the story goes, as they were going to the priest, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. As they were going to the priest, only one of them came back to give thanks. But again, the point is, it was the healing of them, of their leprosy, that was a demonstration of mercy, even though nine of them didn't really express thanks for it. One did. But the mercy was shown to all ten. Then we have the story in Luke 19 of this tax collector named zacchaeus maybe you remember that story jesus is coming uh, into jericho and there's this notorious uh, tax collector he's really short he's curious about jesus he can't see him because of his height so he climbs up in a tree to see Jesus, and as Jesus passes by, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have lunch with you today. And when Jesus goes into the house of Zacchaeus, everybody is just beside themselves. What is he doing? Doesn't he know who this man is? Zacchaeus is terrible. He's ripped off everyone. What is Jesus doing? He's showing mercy to Zacchaeus. And as the story goes, Zacchaeus ends up turning away from his greed and then taking care of the people. And salvation has come to this man's house this day, Jesus said. But he's, he's demonstrating mercy to Zacchaeus. And then finally, in Luke chapter 23, where we have the account of the crucifixion of Jesus, I think most of us will remember what Jesus said as he was being crucified. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That's mercy. So Jesus is showing us mercy in action. He is is demonstrating mercy. And as he's showing us mercy, we are learning what mercy actually looks like And then, ideally, through us imitating what Jesus did, the world would also see what mercy looks like, what the kingdom of God and its citizens are like, as we would live in the way of Jesus. And and by this, then, we really become as we've used this uh, quote from Eugene Peterson, a colony of heaven in a country of death. Again, that's a distinction. All around is a merciless world, but then there's this outpost of mercy. That's the church. That's what the church is to be. Now, here's a question that we have to face at the moment. How is it that so many who claim to follow Jesus... And I'm talking about right now in 2023. How is it that so many who claim to follow Jesus have been swept into the culture wars and embraced the merciless cancel culture of the moment? I mean, this is a real thing, not just in the larger culture. This is a real thing in the church. Christians are so radically divided over politics and over policies and things like that. I mean there there are Christian families who no longer speak to each other because of politics. So their, their bond in Jesus is not strong enough to overcome their political opinions and so they've canceled one another this is so far from the way it ought to be these prevailing attitudes are not fitting for the children of god and so when we're talking about mercy and we're seeing it demonstrated through the life of Jesus. And we're seeing that this is the very nature of God. And we are the children of God. Who as his children are. Participants in his nature. That would say that. This attribute of God of mercy ought to be being displayed through us. As well. Now. We've been talking so far mostly about displaying mercy toward um, those who are afflicted, those who are in hardship, those who are in difficulty and And again, let me just say this you know as we go out and as we're about our business and we we come across people in our communities that are that are downcast that are out on the streets that are, you know, whatever the circumstances are, their, their, their plight is difficult. What, what should our attitude be? And I think it's easy at times to just look at certain people and say, well, you know what? That's what they get because of the way they've lived. That's what they deserve. And that's what we think in our mind. And therefore, that's the way we Um, we, we respond to them or we fail to respond to them. We avoid them. We don't talk to them. We don't look at them because, you know, they got themselves in this predicament and why should I care about that? Well, we should care about it because Jesus cares about it because our God's heart is a merciful heart. How many of you have ever had Uh, A homeless person ask you for money anyone ever have that happen? (laughs) happens all the time doesn't it you know most of the time nowadays I just just give them money and I give them money in the name of Jesus and I let them know like hey and you know there's a time in my life when I thought I'm not giving you anything I know you're gonna take this and I know you're gonna go get a you're gonna go get high and you know nowadays I just look at them and say, you know, maybe you are going to get high. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but you obviously are in need. But for the opportunity to simply just say, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, Jesus has has the answer to what you're looking for. Jesus is the solution to your situation. You know, and and what I'm talking about here is, is not even so much the giving of the money, but it's what what are our hearts saying? What are our hearts reacting like when we see people in that kind of a state? We might see somebody and we automatically conclude, oh, they're probably... Uh, uh, an illegal or something like that. So what are they doing here in the first place? And that very thought should be rebuked in the name of Jesus. Whatever you think about immigration policy, all of that, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But our own hearts, having those kinds of attitudes is... It's the opposite of the heart of Jesus. So we've been talking mostly about that. But let's turn to mercy toward the offender. Many times that's the context as well in life, right? And so the words merciful and mercy also have to do with how we treat Those who have wronged us. How we treat those who have wronged us. So the merciful are those who, rather than refusing to forgive and exacting vengeance, deal graciously with those who have wronged them. Anybody ever been wronged? Anybody ever been lied about? Anybody ever been slandered? Anybody ever been cheated? Of course, we all have. How do we respond to that? Well, it's completely understandable that there would be something in us that just says, you know, that is wrong, and this is unjust, and they need to be, they need to be dealt with. But... Is that mercy? Is that mercy? It's not. You see, mercy refuses to hold on to unforgiveness, to exact vengeance. Every Christian, here's something that we cannot forget. Every one of us who are Christians today has been shown mercy. And it wasn't just the mercy that God showed you when he saved you. He's been showing you mercy ever since. He's been showing you mercy your whole life. Been showing you mercy the whole time that finally brought you to the point of your receiving Christ and having your sins forgiven. But from that point forward, he's still been showing you mercy. He's still been showing us mercy. And so, since we have been shown mercy, we are to therefore show mercy in return. Jesus told the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that parable? Jesus tells the story of a man, a master, who goes to his servant and says... um, Pay me what you owe me. And let's just say you owed him $10,000. Pay me the $10,000. Pay me right now or I'm going to sell your wife and your children off and I'm going to put you in jail. And the, the servant falls down and he begs and he says, oh, please have compassion. Please have mercy. Please don't do that. And it says that the master was moved with compassion and just forgave the whole debt said, okay, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's taken care of. But then the man who was forgiven, it says that he went and he found someone who was indebted to him, who owed him, let's say, $100. And he said, pay me right now or I'm going to cast you in jail. And the man fell down and said, oh, please, please have mercy on me. Please just give me a chance. I'll, I'll pay back. No! You pay me right now or you're going off to jail. And those around see what's happening. And they go back to the master and they say, you know the one that you forgave that great debt? He's now trying to extract from somebody else and he has no mercy. So the master is angry and he finds him, he takes him and he throws him in the Debtor's prison. But the point is, he has this this, uh, debt, this tremendous debt that he is completely unable to pay. And he's forgiven entirely. But then he fails to do that for those who owe him something. Jesus told that in this context of showing mercy. And he says in verse 33, and this is the story Jesus is telling. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? This is what the master says. So we've been shown mercy. Therefore, we ought to show mercy. Psalm 103 Says, has, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Lamentations three twenty two. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Isn't that beautiful? His mercies are new every morning. I am so happy that that is the case. To just wake up in the morning and think that the mercy of God is right here to greet me today. Whatever happened yesterday, whatever happened last week, whatever happened in the past, his mercies are new every morning Paul, in writing to Titus, he said, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Look, the truth of the matter is we all need mercy. We all need mercy. And the promise here in verse 7 is that those who are merciful Will be shown mercy. We will be shown mercy. There's a powerful passage in James chapter 2. It says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Wow. So you see, when we recognize that we've been the recipients of mercy, when we recognize we still need mercy, when we recognize that there might come a day where I really need mercy, I ought to cultivate mercy in my life. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So in closing, who are we to show mercy to? Anyone and everyone, those we deem, those we deem deserving, and those we deem undeserving. Those that we even think that, well, why why should I help that person? Because that's what mercy does. Especially those in need, those suffering injustice, the poor, the oppressed, those who have failed in sin. We need to show it in our words, our tone, our actions, our posture, and our presence. You know, sometimes showing mercy is just simply being, just being friendly to somebody who does not expect anyone to be friendly to them. Someone who maybe never experiences kindness or friendliness toward them. What if we actually lived like the Beatitudes are teaching us to live? And we become signposts that point to the kingdom. That's the whole Objective. That that's what we're we're aiming toward. If we put into practice, uh, it, beginning in our hearts, and then right in our homes, or at our place of employment, among our neighbors, in our politics, if we if we really begin to live this upside down kingdom, this is going to be. And again, in our cultural moment, this is going to be shouting loud and clear, like. There is an alternative. There is something different than what is going on around us. Jesus, our Master, says this is the way of blessing and flourishing. Will we take him at his word and will we apply? these things will we take his yoke upon us and turn from our pride and our assertiveness and our self-justifying and our unmerciful attitudes will we take his yoke upon us and let him transform us into who he wants us to be this is the way this is the way forward This is the call for the church in 2023. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Lord, how we thank you for your mercy toward us. And may it so overwhelm us that it flows out from us in mercy toward others. And thank you, Lord, for the bread and the cup that is here before us this morning that speaks so loud and clear to us about your mercy that it wasn't according to works of righteousness that we had done that you saved us but by your mercy by your mercy Lord you came to the undeserving and you did the unthinkable you gave your life in exchange for ours And as we partake today of the bread and the cup, may we remember that. And may your spirit empower us to live the heart of God out in our daily lives. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and compassionate, amen.